Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Across the Line. Today, we have Matt Ward. Uh, he might be familiar with some of the Philippine football f- public as he was uh, the ass- assistant coach to Simon Enemy in his time at Moralco. He's currently now working in Chinese Taipei, and he's got some incredible stories of his time, both in Africa, in China, in Chinese Taipei, as well as his time in the Philippines. So please make sure that you like us on Facebook and on Instagram and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another edition of Across the Line with me, Chris Greatwich. Uh, Jingy is not with us today. Um, he's disappeared. He doesn't, he doesn't fancy it in the, in the rain. So it's just going to be me with my guest who should be familiar with some of our fo- uh, Philippine football listeners. It is Matt Ward. Uh, Matt was previously um, the assistant coach at Loyola Morocco Sparks. And he joins us on the show today. How are you, Matt? Hey, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Absolute pleasure. And uh, good to chat to you again. It's been a few years since I've uh, been over there. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to the chat. Brilliant. You just uh, want to find out, really, what you've been up to. Because I, I know you've been very busy. Um, you you do, a, do a lot of stuff online, some, some brilliant stuff um, that you put out there on the internet. But what, what, what are you up to at the moment? So... Uh, after leaving the Philippines, I went over to uh, to China. I was coaching Division One in China for a while, uh, then ended up in uh, Ghana Division One. So uh, a li- little bit of uh, a difference there. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, from hanging around in China again, I had a couple of general manager roles for uh, coaching companies, and now I've just literally returned back to Taiwan, uh, back home now in Taipei, and I'm just cracking on with my. Uh, uh, basically, I, I run the British Football Coaches Network where uh, we're putting out opportunities for coaches across the world and in the UK and uh, just do a bit of consultancy and, and uh, coach career development, stuff like this. So I've gone from kind of coaching now, stepped away to a bit of career development just to try and help other coaches uh, in, improve and develop in areas where I needed help when I was trying mm-hmm. to build a career for myself. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that the reason why you've gone into that sort of space, Matt? Is it, is it just purely because you found it difficult yourself trying to get your foot on the ladder and you want to try to make it as easy as possible for so many other guys coming through the network? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's one of the reasons. I mean, uh, it all started because the first reason was I, I kind of fell out of love with coaching because all the messing around you get. And uh, I'm sure we'll touch on some of the stories uh, in, in a bit. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a few reasons why I, I wanted to come out the, the game in a coaching kind of sense. Uh, and this has always been a, a passion of mine. Uh, I enjoy helping people. And uh, it started off just with a few articles, really. And then it's just grown into something now. Uh, we're coming up for, well, just past three years, uh, where we've got over 600 members. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of coaches have found opportunities in the UK and around the world or even met other coaches where they, where they got a job just by networking. So yeah. this is, I, I didn't really imagine it. It was going to turn out like this, but now it's it started growing and uh, yeah, it's all going well. Love it. So do you want to just yeah explain a little bit about the British Football Network and um, what it entails? Because my understanding of it, and I actually have a lot of people who are involved in the network, um, my understanding of it is people are obviously subscribed to the, to the network and then from there you are looking to either post up opportunities that you've come across globally and then also even try to help network to get other people opportunities across the globe. Yeah, that, that's basically it, mate, really, yeah. So uh, people people subscribe, they join, and uh, what makes it quite unique to other kind of, if you want to say job sites or career websites, mm-hmm. is that it's just unique for British, Irish, or Northern Irish coaches. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of other websites out there which kind of let everyone in, and uh, including agents, scam agents, fake profiles, yeah. et cetera. Uh, and, it, and it's just a bit of a nightmare. You end up getting um, job offers that aren't real, but they want to take money from a coach first. Now, if, if you're not really uh, kind of switched on about that, you probably end up paying $200 or something to someone and you don't get anything. So yeah. that's one thing I wanted to try and stop as well. And, and basically just put a face behind uh, what I was trying to do. It, it, it creates a bit more trust and helps to build better relationships as well. So... Uh, I'm on hand as well uh, uh, to give uh, support and advice for members. Sometimes I have members uh, give me a call or a message or an email and they've either just uh, been offered a job somewhere, let's say in Asia, 
uh, and they've got issues with the contract or they need some advice whether to take role A or role B or mm-hmm. uh, they've been offered a job in, in, in Africa somewhere but they've got their family or, or anything like this. So I'm basically now using the experiences and the, the barriers and the troubles I face myself uh, to try and advise and help others out. Brilliant. I want to. I want to just explore how you ended up in the Philippines because that's obviously how we came to know each other. You, um, you were coaching at Loyola Morocco Sparks when, when my brother was playing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm always intrigued to see how people end up in the Philippines because no one ever really grows up if you're not from the Philippines. <laughs> have a connection for. Oh, I'd, I'd love to coach in the Philippines. It's never really on anyone's radar. <laughs> So, so how, how did that all come about? I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I really don't know the story. Yeah, great, great question to start, to be honest. Uh, and at the time, I was coaching uh, for a club in, in Taipei. So uh, Royal Blues Taipei, we started off kind of like in an unofficial second division. And we, we, we won that division. So we won a league title. I was head coach there. And uh, I went on my B license in Australia. Okay. And uh, I got talking to... Uh, to Maka to, to Simon McManamy and basically he was on the lookout for an assistant coach uh, we got chatting uh, so I ended up getting the role basically while still on my B license so qualified my B license on course and I had a job to go to which was just perfect did you meet now, someone on the course Matt? no did no meet... no uh, oh, okay. I, I was on there but we just started chatting right uh, but it, it was great timing because you know, I'm a, I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit full on. If I, if I focus on something and I, I start visualizing and I know where my next step is, I don't really let go of it. So right. I was all ready to, uh, to move on. We, we've got uh, in Taipei, the team had just got promoted through the playoffs into the top tier of the Taiwan Premier League. Uh, so it was really, you know, we achieved so much there, and it was heartbreaking to leave them because at the time, after three or four games, we was in the uh, AFC. AFC Cup uh, positions in the league, right? Which is for our first season, almost like an amateur stroke semi-pro team, was amazing. Uh, so I left with a heavy heart, but I'd always I'd followed Philippine football and Philippines league uh, when it was PFL for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was aware of the players, the teams, etc. And I always had in my mind this is like a couple of years before uh, that it would be the perfect next step for me, right? And uh, uh, I, I, I don't know what you think about visualization yourself, but you know, if you believe in something strong enough and you work towards it, more often than not, it, it can possibly happen. And uh, yeah, yeah, I ended up uh, taking taking the offer from from uh, Maka and uh, heading across. What what were you what were your initial impressions of being here in the Philippines? How how did you find it when you first arrived? <laughs> well. Uh, the, the funny thing was, I I, uh, I did go across for a few days to try and meet Maka first, right? Uh, before I was offered a job, just to check out the Philippines itself. Okay. And I must admit, I got even being in Asia and living in Taipei before, I got into Manila, and I was meant to go and meet him after a training session, but I just got completely lost. I was I was around Metro Manila for about three hours, missed the training session, uh, hung around the pool, and then went came home to Taipei and I had to message Macker and say, sorry, mate, I got lost and I just missed it. I literally got lost. Great start. Yeah, great start. So I thought, well, that isn't really the the best impression there. Uh, But uh, at least I was honest. But I did, uh, I went and watched the game and I sent him across some some, uh, match analysis and stuff. So, uh, yeah, my initial reaction when I got there again, at least I kind of knew what to be, knew what to expect or be ready for a uh, bit of uh, craziness with the traffic uh it, it's a lot different to Taipei but I, I enjoyed it uh, I loved it and when I got there excited get stuck in uh there was a, at the time there's a few yeah there's a few internal politics which I'm sure you get at all clubs uh and in, in fact, I ended up, at the time, I ended up just going across kind of on my own free will because it was taking so long to organise everything. Now, no fault of Macca's because he, he wanted me across. It was agreed, but there was some other internal stuff going on. So I ended up getting my own flight and, and hotel and just turning up, basically, just rocking up. Uh, right. I, I couldn't wait around. I'd already quit my job and, and, and left my old club because it was agreed. And then it was being stalled. So I said, no, no, I'm already here now. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I get there and uh, straight away, you know, the 
the difference from me in the in the quality of player is different to what I'm used to. I, I was head coach for three years, but with at the most semi-professional players right. playing in a league with probably two teams who are professional and, and could hold their own in the Philippines league. I would say so. The the step up from kind of that level, and then you go into a, a team. Morocco had the team had uh, past and present national team players. Yeah. You know, there's uh, there's Jay Dion, there was uh, your brother, there was uh, uh, Taj Minikun, who, who's won the uh, AFC Champions League. Uh, then you got James and and, and Phil Young, husband. Uh, we had a, a guy from Osasuna Reserves or something, Al- Alvaro. And I'm like, bloody hell! You know, this is a it's a big step from kind of being in charge and thinking you know everything to all of a sudden you're quite intimidated. Uh, right. And yeah, it, is a, it's, it was a big step, a big eye-opener. Uh, but everyone was friendly. Everyone was welcoming. Uh, yeah, it, it was good to, good to get stuck into it all. Well, Jing Hamlang has, has showed up. Brilliant to have you on. How's it going, guys? Sir. How are you, sir? <laughs> Doing all right. How's it going? Delay, a little afternoon nap, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. I had some internet issues. Internet issues. Okay, well... Uh, Coach Matt has already said he rem- remembers and recounts some fond uh, discussions that he had with you before. So uh, good for you two to to reconnect. Um, yeah, for sure. We just we've just been covering his first initial um, introduction to the Philippines. So that's that's kind of where where we're at at, at the moment, Jing. But um, what one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Matt. Um, was just to give people an idea who perhaps aren't familiar with the Philippine football scene is, is what sort of level would you compare it to, let's say back home in England, like the players that you were coaching at Morale, what, what level do you think that would be back home in the UK? Yeah. Yeah. I know this is a, it's a great question. What I always think I even, even in China, uh, I was thinking the same and you always want to compare. Yeah. You know what? In, In my opinion, it's really, it's really difficult because the lower leagues in England and the non-league uh, kind of pyramid is mm-hmm. strong. You can have yeah, very. you can have players. Well, you know, uh, with, with respect, like like yourself as well. You got you got players who are doing quite well in the UK. You can go over and you have a national uh, international career, very successful. Uh, I guess what you would have to do is kind of play a two-legger. You you need yeah. you need like a, yeah you need to to play in England and then go across to play in the Philippines because it it'll be totally different. I mean the heat conditions of the pitch, just the atmosphere. You know maybe some of the, the lads from the UK go out on the on the booze the night before because they're too excited. You don't know, but look, I, I reckon I reckon if you if you brought over probably uh, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get any stick for this, but conference conference north. Con- kind of conference, conference north, conference south area. Yeah, uh, I-, I would say I would say both teams would hold their own, and you could take players from uh, the Philippines Either. teams, the best teams, into that kind of area, and vice versa. I, I would, mean, you I got would good, agree. I would agree uh, with that. When Matt. I was saying yeah. the players before, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was saying about the players before, I-, I-, I forgot to mention a few really good, talented young ones. Like we had Jarrell uh, and and. Uh, uh, Kurt Dizon and you know good good lads uh, but then if you after a few years if you took them out like any player or most players in Asia and asked them to go and play in Europe or the UK there's a lot of adaption needed to be made again you know they, things may have been uh, stepped off a little bit in, in the Philippines so yeah there, there would need to be a transition but yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad you kind of agree because I reckon that it's a tough question I think it's also when you conversely, you look at it the other way around, like you mentioned Taj Minicon there, for example. I, I'll tell you a story. We met with um, a guy called Jacob Burns, who used to play for Leeds. And he was, uh, he brought over Perth Glory. Yeah, and they did, yeah. they, did a, they did a pre-season tour here. And uh, anyway, long story short, he ended up coming to one of our academy sessions. And he, he looked over and he said, oh, that's, is that Matt Acton over there, the goalkeeper? I said, yeah, he's the goalkeeper for us. And he said, wow, like... He was, um, you know, he was quite a highly rated youngster coming through the Australian ranks. I said, yeah, we've got a few Aussies. We've got him. We've got Taj Minicon's here. And he said, Taj Minicon is here in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. He was like, wow. Like Taj was like one of the poster boys for yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Australian youth football growing up. And you know, he was quite surprised that he was, he was, he was 
playing with all due respect at the level of the Philippines. But yeah. what, what also I think people need to understand with that is the fact that with all due respect to Taj, Taj was a good player, but he wasn't like he blew up the league. He wasn't, yeah. you know, he wasn't like he was the yeah. top, he wasn't the top scorer in, in the league. He wasn't MVP of the league. He was a good player in the league, but he wasn't uh, an absolute superstar standout. You know what I mean? He yeah. probably wasn't even the best yeah. player on that, on that Morocco team to be fair to him. So, um, you know, like that—that's that sort of feeds into what you were saying there about players that you know. If we went to the UK, we would probably struggle on a November, December, muddy, boggy, windy field. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for in, sure. In the conference south, sure. you know, where the game would be extremely physical and the intensity um, perhaps wouldn't be what it would be here. But you know, from set pieces, from uh, from crosses, you know, all, all these types of things would, would play yeah. into a huge. It would play into the the hands of a of a UK club. Conversely, if you know, if you brought them over here in, in the height of summer, playing in the hundred degree heat on a turf field <laughs> where Filipino players are, are, are very dynamic, we train full time, so yeah. the fitness yeah. levels there, we, the sharpness is there. I think also that would be quite hard to compete with. So, yeah, it's definitely not apples to apples. I would agree with that, and I think that's something that a lot of players and maybe coaches as well kind of struggle to differentiate between those factors because it has it, it, it's. It's, it's it's completely different. It's completely different. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah. like you said, if we had a series of ten games against each other, five home, <laughs> five and away, I'd imagine it would be somewhere about that. Would it would be it'd be it'd be kind of even between the two the two levels. So I would say the, it, the, it'll the be interesting. I, I, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that for sure. Maybe that's something for another day. Maybe that's another business model for you. We'll, we'll organise some tours and we'll get some British teams. No, you got to, and, and one, one player who needs to be playing. Yeah, for sure. And and one player who would need to play Eddie Milari, I, I would need to see Eddie running up at fullback, up and down, and and the British lads would be like, "What what's happening here? Hundred degree, yeah. Eddie, yeah. running up and down." He's definitely not running now, mate. By the way, he's he, he definitely can't move now. <laughs> Maybe Jing Jing can attest to that one. <laughs> he's a little larger. He's a little larger than what you remember. <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I totally agree with that, and I think that's 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 quite an interesting perspective that you that you have with with that, because obviously you've been and coached in in, in different countries, and and you've seen the different levels and the different, um, I guess, sort of physicality, different um, problems, different issues that you might encounter. I mean, what what are some of the things that you that you encountered here that are similar? problems that you might experience in say a, in, in a Taiwan um in, in a in a China are, are there any sort of things that are, are quite similar in terms of problems that you might encounter when you come to, to Asia to coach yeah I, I reckon play, player wise communication wise obviously not not a big issue because there's a lot of English speaking players in in the Philippines uh, right. a lot of mixed heritage that that makes a, a whole of a lot of difference also uh, you know, in China Division One, I, I was with the ex-Chinese Super League team that just got relegated. Uh, we had uh, our which team was that, Matt? Three foreign which team? players, uh, Shanghai Shenzhen. So basically, uh, when when we left, or basically when I lost my job on Twitter, uh, <laughs> they uh, they ended up getting relegated last season. Uh, basically, the the owner pulled out all the money in the club because he's got. Uh, He's got housing in the States and, and whatnot and housing production companies. So he pulled out all the money and they got relegated. But an ex-Chinese Super League team, uh, we had we had a Brazilian who was at Sao Paulo. He played under Sven Eriksson for a few seasons. We had uh, the second best uh, under-21 Brazilian of 2016. I think he was he came second behind Firmino or, or someone like this. And uh, the, the level was top top-notch. Level was yeah. top notch, but with the locals, their footballing knowledge is not as deep as the 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 players in the Philippines, where you can actually sit. You know, you you got for your brother, for example. You know, mm-hmm. you you stand with with him, and and you're talking about tactics for a couple of hours, and the depth of the knowledge, the tactical knowledge, is is huge when you've got all the experienced players there you've got a lot of experienced players past national team players as well whereas the, the Chinese are used to being kind of directed and told what to do there's no there's no discovery there's a lack of decision making right. in China we had maybe two or three guys what had played in the Portuguese league and uh, they they would come up to you and they would question you uh, but you know in training apart from the captain and the viewers uh, through the translator 
they would rarely kind of not pull you up, but kind of question what you were saying or have any input. Whereas you, you know yourself, Chris, uh, as a player and a coach, you know, when you got that mix in the Philippines, you got a lot of experience in club and national team. Uh, you got a lot of good players. And if something's not right, you know, they'll, they'll express it. They'll, they'll say it's a, it's a proper environment. So, Yes, I know there's probably a lot of negatives about the Philippines League, uh, more so the structure and organisation. But right. when teams uh, are trying to be as professional as possible, uh, you can really get a good professional setup. I, I know you you did your best to to uh, to manage a, a tight ship when you was at, uh, at Kaya. And uh, we did the same at Moralco. Ceres, you know, global, I know, a bit unfortunate. But, you know, the top teams can be comparable. It's probably sometimes just... the Sorry, I'm going to say local players, but I mean the ones who have just primarily played and stayed in in the Philippines. Right. Where when you compare them to uh, a Chinese player, China's got uh, better resources, a, a bigger talent pool, so it can't be compared one to one. Right. But team wise, understanding tactics and having their own decision making process, uh, the, the Philippine teams and players can can compete in that in that respect. That's quite interesting, isn't it, Jing? Because we, we often talk about sort of the discrepancies that we have here in the Philippines versus other countries. And it's quite refreshing to hear Matt, from, you know, someone who's removed from the system now, um, you know, he has no agenda or prejudice, to, to hear him say that he, you know, he thinks yeah. that perhaps the, the tactical understanding of players in, in the Philippines was quite high compared to some of the other perhaps more traditional nations that you would assume have an elevated level where it, it, it potentially isn't the case. The thing that really stood out to me there in no, that last absolutely, sequence... That you, absolutely. And, uh, but, oh, sorry, sorry, Jing. Sorry, Jing, go on. Yeah, yeah, the thing that I just wanted to say was that you, you mentioned that, you know, the local players, um, the ones that stayed here in the Philippines perhaps don't have the same tactical base of knowledge that other players might have. You have, you know, the likes of Bill Young Husband, as you mentioned, and those that have been exposed abroad. But there are a lot of homegrown individuals, let's say like a Marco Casambre or uh, a Manny Aguinaldo, yeah. who's had the opportunity to go abroad and when they come back their their knowledge of the game is um, a, a lot uh, a lot more broad than when it was before they hello yeah yeah for, for sure you you're right there jing and and that would come down to basically the the club or the environment where they went abroad now if they went to another uh, let's say like a China or a Cambodia or a Myanmar or uh, a Malaysia or Singapore, you could have a coach, for example, a South Korean coach, which is just used to directing you, dictating to you. And you've got players around you who don't speak English and who are just used to being told what to do, kind of in an autocratic environment. So these players would not then return with any value, really, because they've just been told where to run, when to run. But if they can go to a country or even in the country under a good coach, it makes a huge difference. In China, we took over, uh, three British coaches took over a team of South Korean staff and we took over a big mess. And we took over players what couldn't think on their own, couldn't choose when to carry the ball or when to pass, didn't know when to shoot in the final third, no decision making. So I think uh, what you said there, Jing, the local lads, uh, homegrown Filipino uh, players which could then go out and experience something under a good coach or around better players who can uh, decision make or who are actually just good general people uh, they can certainly bring back something something positive but it's also how receptive they are as well uh, I don't know if he's still playing or not but uh, used to play for Morocco little is it Nano small yeah. small guy Nano he's with Kaya now Technically I coached him brilliant. as well is he, is he still playing, is he? Yeah, he's at Kaya. Oh, really? I, well, I had him, yeah. You know, I, I ended up signing him, you, actually, Matt. Yeah. You've got a guy like that. Great. Oh, br- brilliant. Great, great football mind. You know, and if you're talking to him and, and ask him or give him an option to do something, he, he knows. He's switched on. Mm-hmm. And not only in the brain, uh, you know, of course, there's a, a few points what you could uh, kind of polish up, but not only in the brain, but it's technically he's just <laughs> fast as anything. Yeah. yeah, just amazing. So there is so much talent in the Philippines or potential if they kind of got molded the right way. And I guess this comes down to the links between the high schools 
and when they can play for the pro teams or not. I know there's there used to be an issue with this and, and the high school teams are on TV, the pro games aren't and there just needs to be a, a better bridge in between the two levels because there really, there really is a, a lot of talent what could keep continue to be uh, developed and progressed. But it, you need people there, Chris, like yourself, who, who want to be doing it, who want to put in the, the hours of the dirty work, not just want to be the face or say, oh, look, I'm part of the, uh, the, the PFF, just to be popular, just to have power and to think that it's going to uh, get you some financial gain. You need true football people what care about the development of the country. Otherwise, it won't work. No, we've, we've waxed lyrical about that exact point on the show, uh, Matt. You know, it's, it's something that is it's, it's, it's refreshing again to hear someone with, with a different perspective on things because you're not as engrossed in it as, as myself or even other people who've come, in, come up through the system. So it's interesting to see yeah. people have that perspective with a completely, you know, there's an, you're completely objective. There's, there's no agenda or what, whatsoever with your, with your opinion. So, no, it is a real shame. It's a real shame that it isn't harnessed in that way because someone like Nano... Uh, who, who you mentioned? I mean, he's someone who easily should be playing at a, a, a you know, a, a top Southeast Asian club, for example. Like he's someone who I would see maybe going to Thailand Massively. and Massively. being a really, really, you know, really good, good, good player in that league. I mean, maybe he, he might find the physical deficiencies would reach a certain point because he is so small. Um, you know, when we talk about small in England, I'm small in England. But he's small, you know. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's just yeah. above five foot. You know what I mean? But te- <laughs> technically, tactically, you know, he's sharp as anything. Uh, I think with with had he been nurtured in the correct way, perhaps not had to go so long through the collegiate system. He's someone who could have had a more upward trajectory on his career path. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's still. I'm hoping he can still fulfil it. But no, it's, it's, it's really interesting that you say that because that's something that we, we, we've talked about at length on this show. Um, with, with that also, what I'm quite interested with you is because you haven't been exclusively in, in Asia. You, know, you, you went to Ghana, for example, and, and, and worked over there. I even heard your, your um, cameo on the, on the BBC uh, interview that you did when you were talking about that. I mean, how was that as, as an experience? Yeah. How did it contrast to perhaps some of the things you'd experienced in, in Asia? Yeah, great, great questions, Chris. Uh, I mean, so Morocco was the next stepping stone for me. And uh, one big thing I learned, especially from Maka, was, you know, Asia, you're going to have interference. You can only control the controllables. You're going to get things what you can't control. And if you let it get to you, you're going to suffer. And uh, yeah, there's a few things which, uh, which got to me. I'll just name one again. This may not be popular because uh, I know there's problems question but when when i stepped off for playing the first training session i go to morocco you know they've, they've been doing a pre-season for about two two and a half three months fitness training weight training mm. and stuff can't play football they're not football ready they can run a 100 meter sprint powerful but you know not football ready and uh, it took a while all the cup games i think we played the cup i think you uh, you guys beat us in the cup and it took us all the cup matches to actually get going. So the cup was like the preseason mm. because the, 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 the preseason training was incorrect. But no, now, no fault of Maka. It's the, it's the, uh, it was the interference from outside where the football job should be left to the head coach and everything else, admin, logistics should be with the people who deal with that. And it, when you start getting that crossover, just because someone's got more power, and uh, our players are fit, uh, not football ready. In fact, if they want to run straight, straight line, hundred meter sprint, brilliant. They would, we would win uh, the Olympics at hundred meters in the, in the Philippines. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I learned a lot of things. I, I made mistakes as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very honest, and I always admit my mistakes. Uh, going in as assistant, I got too close to the players. Whereas now I know uh, from being an assistant in China as well, assistant is there in between the players and the head coach as a filter. But in the Philippines, it was easy because, you know, a bunch of good lads. Mm -hmm. I'm younger, uh, you know, a little bit lonely. 
And uh, I didn't always have Macca's back how I should have or how I would now if I went in as, a, as an assistant coach again. Right. And so I learned a lot from there, especially for when I moved to, to China, because, you know, again, talking about a step up from Taipei to the Philippines, this was a huge step up. You go there, we got, we got a huge training ground, we got a, a hotel room like a Sheraton, your own one en suite in the training ground, training pitches, you, you fly into uh, matches, what, are four or five hours away in the same country, right. uh, you got three meals a day at the training ground, your own chefs, it's a proper step up. So for one, I knew I had to, I had to kind of wind my neck in a little bit and, and, and uh, you know, be, be observant and, and go differently about my opinions more professionally, I would say. So I had to grow up, uh, grow up right. in a, in a short space of time. Uh, and if anything, I went from being a confident head coach in Taipei, where basically I had the rule of everything. And I thought I had all the answers to not being as confident in the Philippines and then losing my confidence as a coach in China, uh, just for the pure fact that I didn't believe that the, the Chinese staff and owners believed in me right. as an assistant. So the head coach, of course, they've got the backing already. But there's so much backstabbing and, and so much things being said behind closed doors. People want your job. Even the Chinese staff, what you pushed out of place coming in, want your job. And that makes me uneasy. If I, if I feel like I haven't got the backing, I, 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 don't, feel, uh, I don't feel confidence. So I learned a, a huge amount. I was, I was working with two pro-licensed coaches, uh, British coaches in, in China. I learned so much. I learned more than I did on, on my A-license a course, yeah. just from pure experience. And that set me up for Ghana perfectly. I went in as head coach in Ghana, and I was happy. I was left to do everything I needed. My experiences in China and the Philippines uh, had, had, had given me the, the ideas of how to manage up as well as, as, well as manage down. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, it came to a sour ending because uh, uh, I found out uh, a few a few things which maybe I shouldn't have found out. But my time there, coach and developed players, was amazing. Uh, just the togetherness. You're not really meant to win away games because of match fixing. Uh, match fixing, just like mo many other countries, not just African countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went on to break the uh, away winning record. We were unbeaten for four matches in away matches, which is unheard of. And you know, if I was able to stay there, it's an easy place to grow your reputation as a foreign coach if you mm. do well. So that's why when when coaches say to me now, where would you go? Asia. Well, everyone wants to go to Asia. You're in the Philippines, you've got a swimming pool, the sun's out, of course. But no, professionally, for your career to progress, Africa, uh, the continent of Africa would be great because you're allowed to get on with your job, well, as much as possible. But you can right. really get down and, and, and get to grips and get some hard work done with the players as well. Great experience. Yeah. And what, so, so judging by what you're saying there, it's, it's just the case of you... Uh... You had a level of autonomy and and responsibility that enabled you to conduct your work in, in versus yeah. what you've experienced in Asia. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely correct. So even though you know the the, the chairman, we we got on well, although it didn't end uh, well. But he he said, Matt, you know you're in control. You're the manager. You know you tell us when you want to set off on the bus for an away match. You tell us what you want to do, what you need preparing for a recovery day. You are you you comfort you talk with the logistics, the team manager, but you're in charge of selecting the team. They did, of course, like everyone, make suggestions. You got like a a, a team of ten staff being busy having their secret meetings. Or oh, Matt's just come in; he doesn't know the league. But what they don't know, on the way to Ghana, eighteen hours, I, I already know the players. I know the opposition. I know the players I'm going to be against. I know who I'm going to drop already. I'm, I, I'm already up to date, but of course you need to take the local knowledge. You, you would be mm -hmm. uh, naive not to, but they let me get on with it. And I remember the first match, big pressure because I was against, the t it was at home, a uh, huge crowd to put out extra, extra chairs and everything. And uh, the coach I was facing was the ex-coach of the team I just took over. Okay. So he knew, he knew how we play, he knew all the players. I'm thinking, oh no, this is, this is going to be tough. Anyway, we first half comes, we, we're hitting the post, we're hitting the bar three or four times, could have had three or four penalties. 
I'm thinking we're going to win this three or four nil. We go in at half time nil nil, and everyone's everyone's feeling like we've just lost five nil at half time. It's nil nil still. I said, lads, come on. I said, hey, we're, we're right. We're going to win this anyway. First home match, first game with a club, we end up drawing nil nil. We hit hit the woodwork twelve times, and. All anyone could pick out, everyone, it, they felt like it was a loss. I couldn't believe it. And I, I was buzzing because we played really well. But then I learned three points is the most, <laughs> three points is the most important thing in professional football. Yeah. So uh, for the past two weeks, all I was being asked was, why did you choose this striker? And that's the only mistake I made. I chose a striker, which uh, is normally a stub. He can hold up play well, but he can't finish. Whereas the normal striker, I left on the bench because I thought he was more of a winger. So in, in terms of that, I did make a, a, bit, a, a bit of a mistake there. <laughs> yeah. And, and then with, with, with that sort of difference in, not really culture, I guess, but I suppose it would be culture um, between, let's say, for example, Ghana and, and, and Asia. I mean, did you see that as, right, well, I've acquired all this, this, this knowledge, I've acquired all of this experience maybe it's time for me to explore different avenues and try to utilise those experiences that I've had perhaps in a different setting. Is that, is that why you decided to step away from the coaching space a little bit more? Yes. Yeah, so uh, ultimately I, I decided to step away from coaching. Uh, I, I wrote a lot about it in my book. I just give it a, a quick plug, zero to pro Go in four years. Uh, yeah. And basically it, too much uh, off the field, uh, too much off the field shenanigans uh, kind of made me fall out of love with coaching. Yeah. Too much, uh, you can't prove it, but in my eyes, match fixing. Uh, too much interference from owners. You know, in 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 China, we was getting phone calls from from the boss, from the owner, saying you have to change a defender. We're we're two nil up away. You have to change a defender, and it's not—it's not really an option. So we change the defender, we lose four-three. You know, it, it's not a coincidence. Uh, and I—I I, I saw firsthand a lot of things. You know, referees taking minimum of five thousand dollars up to twenty twenty-five thousand dollars a match, uh, going flying five hours to a game, knowing that you're going to lose because it's already been set up. And uh, you know, when when you're try, trying to build a reputation or a career as an unknown coach, a win means everything for your family, for your win bonus, for your career. It means everything. So when you're working week in, week out, day in, day out, and it's 24-7 like you know, you go, you go on match day and it should be played. I know it isn't, just like all sport, but it should be played with all of these things in consideration. But you go to match day where you could have the best training all week or all month, and you're already going to lose. The, the result is already decided. And regardless of what salary I'm on, I'm, I, I've, you know, I, I, I wear my heart on the sleeve, and no, I, I can't accept it. You know, I, I want to coach because I want to win. I want to make players better. I want to make players win. And if I'm not allowed to do that, not because we should win or we should lose, but of the, the third-party interference... Or, or other things going on, the un- uncontrollables, then what's the point in coaching? Yeah. Literally. What, what's the point in managing the team? What's the point in being in the league? What's the point in playing a professional team if it's already fixed? And right now, that's something I can't get back into. Uh, it may change later on, but yeah, too much negative experiences in, in, in football, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, I... Even when we were here, there were there were rumours and murmurs of certain games that that you know incidents happened that were that were questionable, shall we say? Um, yeah, but I, I didn't realise it was it was that prevalent in in some of these other places. You know, you, you, uh, I, I guess perhaps you, you you just don't want to acknowledge it because yeah, um, you know, you hope that it's it's not really it's not really the case because you don't want to have your game that you love to be tainted but even before like Suzuki Cup and Asian Cup it was a really big thing from the federation that uh, you know people came in and spoke to us about match fixing and spoke to us about the importance of uh, you know if people are approaching you that you have to report it and, and all those kinds of things I, hand on heart I've never been approached to, to fix a game 
Um, but you know, I I know that there, there have been players who have been approached, and you know, it, it's really really important that that is is stamped out and eliminated. Yeah. And, and while you know, especially in countries like China, for example, where you know betting is such a huge part of um, that's it. That's the thing. of the culture. You know what I mean? And and, and that's what that, that's why there's there's. I mean, some of the statistics that that um, the guys were talking about, how much money uh, each game. Um, you know how much money is riding on each game, the amount of betting that's conducted on each game. Like, and it, it's not even the games that, that you would think. You know, it's, it's not the Barcelona no, Real Madrid no, games. It's not. No. It's literally like you know a Macedonian third division game, or you know, yeah, Icelandic exactly. Premier League. You know, these are the types exactly. of games that people are betting ridiculous sums of money on. And um, yeah, it's it certainly opened my eyes. Like uh, before Suzuki Cup, before the last the Asian Cup, it was it was a real. Uh, thing that they were trying to stamp out, which, which is which is good because there there is no place for it in this game because we all want to play on a level playing field, don't we? No, no, of course that that's what the players, the coaches, and and the clubs what spend money deserve. But you know, whether it's my naivety, Philippines, you look at it and you think, oh, the the referees are just uneducated and terrible, which you know some people may assume of, of different countries. But when, now, when I look back at it, you, you just never know. You just never know. And, yeah, it could be put down to bad officiating, but also something which is really, really, really bad decisions, you, you never know. And on the player aspect, in, interesting you, you should say that, Chris, uh, what, what normally happens, and it happens a lot in Thailand, Steve Darby, who's got huge, a coach with huge knowledge of Asia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, he basically, he's had players explain how it works and what they do, they trap you. So they, they offer a player, let's say, I don't know, uh, $5,000. So you accept the $5,000 and once you've taken it, then the fixers start lowering the price because they know that they've trapped you. So then right. it will go down to $200. Right. And then if you don't agree, then they've got all the information on your family, the school where, the ki- uh, where your kids go and everything. You're trapped and you're no longer getting paid $5,000 to do it. Not that you should do it, but you get paid two hundred. And these players are, uh, you know, they're not wealthy anyway and they've no. got nowhere to turn. And then when it comes down to being banned, it's the players what get banned and not the fixers because they're linked in with somewhere down the line, high up, uh, some some authority figure high up in the, in the govern- governance of the game, which is is sickening. It's, it's one of the things that stood out when I did the presentation, when we were given the, the presentation by, um, by the AFF was, you know, how impactful it is when people are caught, you know, like um, they, they were given examples in, um, I think it was a club in Myanmar, you know, how it completely destroyed the whole community. You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the individual, yeah. obviously, who, who took who took the money. It was that it was the coach who then had to lose his job because the games were being fixed. It was then the points deduction that the club had, so other people from around that club then lost their jobs, and then how it impacted impacted on the entire community. All I remember on the slide was this this depiction of a stadium that was completely derelict, you know, weeds growing through it and all sorts, and then that was traditionally the hub. Yeah of the community because obviously on the weekend or whatever everyone would congregate on the stadium watch their their people play in the game support the team fanatically and then you know hopefully they represent the people really well and it's just a real shame because you know that that it has a real impact on on on, on the community not just the footballers which yeah, is which is a does. shame of course well, this wasn't this wasn't an avenue that we, I was looking to go and, down and, with you. Yeah. Uh, by the way, but um, no, no, really, no, no. I think it's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's, it's a topic we haven't. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we haven't we haven't really discussed this, and I think, but I think it's important because even myself sometimes maybe I think I'm a little bit naive to it. But if you if if you're someone who who feels deep down that it's that it's you've been involved in games where you feel as though that there's been some, some underhand tactics that I can see how that would be demoralizing. And I can see how that would have a real, a real effect on, on anyone's coaching because, you know, like you said, you prepare all week or you prepare all all season to to try to get your team in the best possible position to be successful. And if you think that there are figures outside of that conspiring against you, I, I can see how that would be really, really difficult to, to handle and to process. I mean, just just to probably to, to finish off on this, an, an example is 
you, 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 you get a win bonus. Now, for one of the teams, uh, I won't mention which one, we used to get uh, a win bonus. And if we, got, if we won three matches in a row, it would be a rollover. You get a triple win bonus, which right. was at the time a hell of a lot of money. Now, on three separate occasions, we always lost that third game in a row. Even against teams where we are the better team, we control the game, we would have things like a man sent off or a couple of penalties awarded against us. So then this started getting me thinking, if you do the math, if someone wanted to save money or not pay out as much, you would potentially, I'm not saying it happened, but you could potentially buy the game for your club to lose instead of paying out all the players and staff a triple win bonus. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I, nev- put, I never got a triple win context. bonus. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, I never it- got one. <laughs> I just think your tactics were rubbish, Matt. You know what I mean? You can't keep can't keep blaming it on the triple win bonus. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting yeah. you say yeah, that. It's interesting when you say that. Yeah, I mean, these are the sorts of things I think the general football public don't really you know, realise. I mean, even growing up in the UK, it just wasn't something that was really on, 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 on the radar. So no, I, I appreciate you bringing that up and talking quite openly about it because no, it's something that doesn't really get spoken it. No. about. It. No, yeah. no, it's not. Right. Well, I want to try to move into the, the sort of the more current space with you that you're in right now, which is trying to help and, and develop coaches reach their potential. Um, and we have a lot of coaches who listen to the show, so I'm, I'm sure they'd be intrigued to see like what your sort of take on 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 coaching is and what what you, things and what steps people need to take in order to to get to the next level. I hear you talk a lot about this on your. Um, on your webinars and your little five minute videos that you do, which I think are great. I think they're really, really good advice. Um, yeah. For any coaches who are looking to, 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 to progress their careers, but what are sort of the key, some of the key things that you think are really important for, for coaches who are looking to either get on the ladder or, or make that next step and that makes next jump in their, in their coaching career. So the first thing you need to do as a coach is figure out, what you want to do and and what coach you want to be. Do you want to work in an academy, potentially to a senior coach, or do you want to be a senior coach and, you know, aim high and be a, a manager of a national team? You need to know yourself what you want to be. Otherwise, you'll end up taking an academy job and you'll, you'll keep saying, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to coach U9s for another two years. Then I want to get to senior football. Well, by the time you've done another two years with your U9 academy team, when is the right time to get that experience to get a, a senior football job? Because for me, for example, if someone, if I'm going for a job against someone who's doing another two years as a U9 coach, I'm going to go out and get experience working with a senior team. It doesn't matter if it's non-league. It doesn't matter if it's amateur. Because when it comes down to relating your experience to the role you're going for, they're going to look and go, okay, you want to be a senior coach. How much experience have you got as a senior coach? zero but you've coached under 12s okay now it's not to say that there isn't that there's nothing wrong with that but you've got to at one point find out or figure out what you want to do and how you're going to get there if you're in an academy but you want to work in in senior levels can you do both you know even if it means doing something for nothing which goes on to my uh, uh, the second point try yeah. and give before you take so there's a lot of coaches which say Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll coach that women's team. You know, it may be a, a women's team in the Philippines League. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. How much do I get paid? Which is a wrong question. The value is in the experience of being able to uh, coach for the senior women's team, not how much you're going to get paid first and probably not get offered the job. Yeah. So let's switch on its head. You can say, you know, oh, yeah, I want to come and help out. I want to come and coach. I can be an assistant. I'm willing to come across, see how it goes, and then we can take it from there. And that's a better attitude to do it. Because, look, I know everyone, everyone needs money. Everyone needs paying. I know. But the value in experience is, outweighs the quick money. It outweighs a quick dollar. And, and it, it really does work. Myself in Taipei, I was a PE teacher for three years. Okay. I spent three nights, uh, three weeknights uh, of my time coming back from PE teaching all day traveling one hour for training, putting training on, traveling back one hour, getting home past midnight, waking up, doing it again. 
for, for no money. Basically, I, I was losing money because if we had to travel away, I'd help fund hotels to try and hotels or transport to try and make everything professional. Because I knew that that would come back and, and, and uh, you know, give me, give me what I deserve from all the effort and, and for all the giving I've done. And it really does work. So find out what you want to do first, then figure out how you're going to build the pathway to what you want to end up being. Maybe you don't know right away, but as long as you have an idea. Then the, one of the most important thing is when you know where you want to be is how much sacrifice are you willing to make? So I talk about something called a scale of sacrifice, zero to 10. At the time when I wanted to coach, I'll be a, a scale of sacrifice level 10, meaning I would do anything to get an opportunity. If a, a first team club in Afghanistan said, Matt, do you want to come and, and coach our reserve team? I'd be like, yeah, I'm on the way. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Yes, rightly or wrongly. And I've already done it. I've left for, when I was in the Philippines, my wife was pregnant. Uh, four days before I left China and came back home, uh, we had our son. And I missed all my wife, all the time my wife being pregnant. Uh, then I was away in Ghana, which I'll, I'll be honest, is, is really, uh, it, it hurt my, it's hurt my marriage. And that's the sacrifice I made for my career because I was a, a scale of sacrifice 10. I was willing to do anything to be successful, to get that next job. Now, not everyone can be a 10. Not everyone can be mm. a, a sacrifice level of seven or eight. So maybe you're one or two. And that's okay. Not everyone wants to leave a family. Not everyone wants to move to a different country or even a different city. But as long as you're realistic and you understand that the scale of your sacrifice will probably represent the opportunity you'll get at the end. Because you know, someone who's willing to sacrifice more will always end up getting a, a better opportunity than someone who's not. And even if you, you're getting a job locally, you still have to sacrifice. You know, as you, yourself, Chris, it's 24-7. Coaching isn't two hours and then you go and play golf unless you're an ex-professional coaching in India, <laughs> which they do. But it's, it's, it's full on. It's all day, every day. It's sleepless nights. You're doing it again. And that sacrifice even if you're living with your family, you might not get the quality time with your children, with your husband or, or, or wife. So all of these things have to be uh, decided on before you can actually step in and, and get to work in doing it. Um, another big one is your networking and, and contacting. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite not opinionated, but I'm quite stubborn. And if I think something's wrong or I disagree, I've learned now to be more flexible, which is helpful. Uh, I've burned a lot of bridges in the past, which now I know was a mistake, obviously having built quite a, a strong network now. So however bad things get with club, players, bosses, don't burn bridges because these are potentially your, your next role, your next opportunity. Always try and leave on good terms when you can. But whilst you're in the role, whatever you're doing, academy role, grassroots role, senior team role, already start working towards your next role because football can change so quickly you can be out of a job and you need to be ready with your foot in the next door of the next job ready to go and you can only you can only do that by networking the right way communicating the right way and giving before you take i'll give an example of some things what not to do uh, when talking to people or trying to go for jobs I could have a, a, a guy who's never talked to me in their life will email me and say, hi, Matt, you got any jobs I can get? And that's the first conversation we have. Not even a hello, how, how are you doing or anything? Yeah. No interest in what I'm doing whatsoever. And it's straight in with that. And I'm less likely going to help people like that because they haven't built the relationship. They haven't built the, the communication structure. So as a coach, an aspiring coach, or even a coach in a, one of the highest positions, you need to keep your communication open and, and correct in the right way with not only the people what you think can help you, but also those that who may not be able to help you now, but may be able to in the future. Just uh, off the topic, I was in Hong Kong and uh, an Indian waiter came up to me and started talking to me about Bitcoin. Now, if I was dismissive and I said to him, mate, please, I just want to enjoy my beer, I wouldn't listen to him. But I did. I listened to him and I bought some Bitcoin at the right time. So that's the same, where, where, that's the same principle that basically right. 
<laughs> treating everyone as they are because you never know what they can offer you. And it comes back to giving more than taking. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be open. And you've got to be really serious about working hard. And hard work will pay off in the end. You've got to be out. You've got to be good at what you do as well. And if you're not, not everyone's a good coach. I'm, I'm not the best coach in the world by a long shot. But if you can work on yourself and you're willing to take feedback and learn from others, then you can improve. So once you can coach, once you can build connections and network, and once you can uh, show that your profile is professional, what I mean by profile is, you know, if, if, you, if you're on LinkedIn as a professional coach, but you're sending photos of your, your dinner or Starbucks, you're not being a professional coach. So you can build your profile or the perception of being a professional uh, in that industry uh, just by acting professional off the field as well. Social media, too. So they're just a few, uh, a few tips which can really help people uh, uh, push on in the careers as well. Yeah, no, I really like that, Matt. I think I've seen you talk about that on, on, on some of your stuff that you put out there. And I, uh, I think a lot of it's true. Like, I think, you know, you listen to people like Eddie Howe, you know, he would talk about how, you know, he's, he's a good football coach, but maybe he's not the best dad, you know, because he's not always there for his, yeah. for his kids. He's not always there. Just He might be there, but he's not present, you know, in that moment when he's at home with his family. Not present. I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if you saw the Bobby, Bobby Robson documentary, but the same thing, the real sad thing about that documentary is the fact that his son didn't have the opportunity to really have conversa- football conversations with his dad because he was too busy talking about it with everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, these are the sorts of <laughs> yeah. things that I, I, I said in Macca's podcast uh, that I had with him, uh, the amount of people that are divorced or have, you know, uh, you know multiple marriages who are football coaches because they're going here, there and everywhere. It takes its toll. It takes its effect. And even my, my wife and I had this discussion the other day. Yeah. She was like, oh, if, I had to make, if you had to choose between football and uh, me, what would you choose? And I, I said, well, I don't know. You know, we'll have to have a chat about that next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, start off yeah, with an easy question, why don't you? It's, 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 it's tough, but... No, but these are the things that I think are really, really important on people who want to go what out on this journey. What did you say to that? You know what? In the end, I think she said, um, she said, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to know. I don't want to know that answer. Or, or she said something along the lines of, I think I know the answer. So I didn't actually have to answer it. So I kind of got away with that one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, I think it's difficult when you're, when that, you're embarking on your, on your journey. Well. Because, that worked out good. It worked, it worked out all right. Yeah. Um, I think it's difficult when you're embarking on the journey because I totally agree. I think too many people are looking to get on, to get the job. I want to get the job straight away. And it's like, it takes time. It takes time. And if you, even if you don't take those necessary steps, even if you do, for whatever reason, luck out and you get the job that you want early in your career, you haven't taken the steps and the measures to make those silly mistakes that you make. Like you said, to get too close to the players, to know how to manage up, to know what it's like to deal with dodgy officiating. And you're going to be under the microscope at a very high level and you're going to have to make these really big decisions when you're not prepared to do it. You know, and I, I think that's really, really yeah. um, undervalued in a coach, coach's sort of transition and coach's journey that people don't take that seriously enough. Um, I'm a huge believer in going out there and doing those types of things like um, volunteer coaching. You know, again, with Maka, I talked about how when I went to America, oh, I would coach kinder soccer. I'd be coaching three-year-olds, you know, running around playing cops and robbers and all this sort of stuff. But it, it's always teaching you how to interact with with people, irrespective yeah. of the level that you, of, it's experience. Of you're coaching at. It's experience. Like I would say to any coach, and I know you said this, on your network if you're a coach right now who's who's if you're a coach right now who's sitting at home and you're thinking well i want to go and coach at a really high level academy but i've got no experience but i want to do it go out to america go get a job go work the camps come out to asia if there's anyone listening you want to come out and coach in asia come out to asia come and coach for my academy i won't pay you get it won't pay you yeah. But you will work in a, in a great setting, in a great environment. You, you have the opportunity to coach every single day and really, really learn your trade. Um, 
not in the spotlight, not under the microscope, where you can make mistakes, you can learn how to interact with parents, you can coach at different levels, and you can, you know, you will sharpen that knife quicker than anything if you were back home doing one session a week, two sessions a week at a grassroots level. You know, I look back and we, one of my coaches who I know is coaching in America now, we talk about coaching years. When I was in America, we would coach three to four hours every weekday, so Monday to Friday. And then Absolutely. Saturday, Sundays, I would do probably six hours a day easily on a weekend. And when you times that, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any holidays. We coach all the way through. So I'd be doing that probably 45, 46 weeks of the year, right? So when I compare to somebody that like, oh, I've got 10 years coaching experience, but you coach twice a week. Yeah. Right. You coach twice a week. The, the difference is incredible. Like I've acquired so many more coaching hours than you, um, even though I've coached for a shorter period of time. So I think that for any coach who's sort of on that, on that ladder looking to progress their career, it's really, really important that you get those coaching hours in and, and, and look at it exactly as you said, from that sacrifice standpoint, if you're a young coach, especially, can you sacrifice everything now? Can you sacrifice everything now in order to get that job that, that you really want, that you dream of maybe in two, three, four years time when you're really ready? You know, don't don't be sat at home thinking, oh, I want to be coaching at a Premier League club. I want to be coaching at this level if if you haven't paid your dues. Because all that's going to happen is you're going to get the opportunity and you're not going to be ready for it, if ever. So, uh, no, I, to- I totally agree with Matt. And I think if anyone's listening, that's 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 great advice for for any coach who's aspiring to, to coach at any particular level. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you've you've got your network. Um up and running yeah and spot sure on. people are probably spot on. gonna people are gonna want to network and i mean just speak to you just going just, back sorry. to uh, go ahead go ahead matt go ahead go ahead yeah yeah spot spot on chris oh sorry yeah i, I was just saying so uh just touching on the kind of uh building relationships as well that that one of the main reasons why i got the china job because uh the, the head coach who went across to China, I helped him out when he was the Guam national team manager. He came over to Taiwan for a tournament and uh, couldn't get hold of a load of equipment. So I went out my way, spent my own money and, and used my own time uh, to help them. And also I, I did all the analysis for them for the tournament for free, never asked for anything in return. And he, he kept me in mind for when he, he needed someone for a, another assistant coach. And he gave me a call at 3 a.m. in the morning and said, look, do you, do you want to come to China? And I was like, yeah, I do. So that, that's another example of, of why communication and keeping good relations is so important as well. Yeah, massively, massively. I think that's, that's great advice for anyone out there. You know, I, I, I've been guilty of it in the past. You know, I was struggling to perhaps you know bite my tongue in certain situations but it, it, invariably those things come <laughs> come come they come back around don't they and i think you know you have to try to maintain those relationships while while managing to, yeah. to, to keep a level of authenticity do you know what i mean like you, you don't want to be uh, a walkover a pushover or stand your ground on yeah. issues that you think are important i think it's just about trying to find that balance and the only way you're going to find out where that balance course, is, is by getting the experience right that's that's really where it's at if you if you don't go out there and, and experience these types of scenarios and situations then you're never going to know how to play those when when presented with it down the line yeah. so no i think that's yeah. that's really insightful uh, matt so thanks thanks for thanks for enlightening us on some of those um things that you talk about a lot on your on your network but if people want to reach out to you, Matt, you know, I, I want to be mindful of your time, but if people want to reach out to you, what, what's, what's the best way if they have any questions, if, if people are embarking on their own coaching journeys, if they have any questions on how to get started? I know you're really generous with your time when it comes to things like this. Like what, what would be the best way to kind of get hold of you? They, they can uh, fire across a, an email to me at uh, uh, matt at britishfootballcoaches.com. That's matt at britishfootballcoaches.com. Uh, and, I yeah, I'm, I'm really busy, but I always try and reply to everyone as much as possible, unless they come and go, Matt, have you got a job for me? And then I won't. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'll always try and do my best. Uh, or uh, No, it's not, have you got a job? It's gives a job. Matt gives a job. 
Yeah, all right. Uh, and also feel free to to follow me on, on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I normally put some short videos mm-hmm. from a YouTube channel as well. Uh, and yeah, it, without sounding like uh, a bit of a pleb, but if you just go, uh, if you just Google uh, Matt Ward coaching or Coach Matt Ward or Matt Ward China football, uh, it, it'll come up with all the avenues that I can I can uh, be reached on. So please feel free; it'll be awesome to to hear from coaches because I, I love that. Yeah, that's that's brilliant, Matt. Like I, I really appreciate all the all of the um, you know the advice that you've given us. You've given us some great stories on on your experiences both in Asia and in Africa. And I think for any young coaches that are out there that are interested in in making a career in in football, it's it's not all glitz and glamour. And and you, you've you've illustrated that and talking about some of the dark side of the game, which I think is is important that wing coaches go <laughs> into this. They understand what they're getting themselves into, and they go in it with their eyes wide open and and fully aware of, of some of the pitfalls and, and the difficulties that they might encounter. We haven't gone through all of them, but uh, you know, some of the ones that you've discussed are things that you, you wouldn't necessarily normally think about. So, um, so I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to us. It, it, it's been a real pleasure. Um, and, and any final thoughts from, from you, Matt, a- anything else that we, I, I didn't ask you that you, that you wish I'd asked or anything? No, that no, no like problem at all, party? Chris. Thank, thank you for having me. No, 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 it's no, it's all, it's all good. But I, I do wish, my one wish, because I'm still fond of, of the Philippines and the, the players and the people involved. And I do wish that they just get everything, get their act sorted out. You know, get more teams, but actually get them, give them a, a fairer chance. Because otherwise, league of four teams or, or two competitive teams. And there's so much good talent what can be produced which needs to start feeding into the national team as soon as possible. Because once these main players, just like with your era, Chris, once they stop playing, you know, we, you're going to start running out of players. We, it needs to start feeding through as soon as possible. And you can only do that with committed people. So I, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope that can improve soon. That's brilliant, Matt. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, no for those problem, of you who like the, the content that we put out, um, please make sure that you subscribe to us, uh, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe to us on, on the YouTube channel, uh, check us out on the Instagram page as well. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Matt. We really appreciate it. Take care. And hopefully uh, we'll see some more of your really exciting uh, posts on, uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on, on Twitter in the very near future. Cheers, Chris. <laughs>